from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. And today here in the studio with me, I have Senior Energy Analyst Kevin Book of FBR Capital Markets and John Felmy, Chief Economist from the American Petroleum Institute. And today we're going to talk about oil industry earnings. Now, the major publicly traded oil companies are in the process of announcing their earnings for the fourth quarter as well as for the entire 2007 calendar year. John Felmy, based on the report so far, what trends are you seeing? Well, so far we've only had a limited number of companies report, but it looks like for the quarter they could be up on the order of about 10% year over year, uh, but down somewhat from the totals of 2006. Kevin, are these earnings out of line with the earnings of other industries? Because often the oil companies get criticized for the amount of money that they make. Well, just because a dog can be big or small doesn't make it any more or less a dog. Companies uh, produce net margins as a percentage of their total revenues, and the percentage is not at all out of line. In fact, historically, oil companies have trended to underperform the S&P 500. Uh, It takes a great deal of patience with capital and a great deal of operational expertise to get to the point where we are today where they are delivering substantial but not by any means exorbitant returns. On, on the invested capital. Now, so far, we have not seen all of the earnings announcements come out, certainly at the time that we're taping this, but they will be coming out in the next few days. And uh, some analysts are saying that some of the earnings growth can be attributed to the price of oil, which during the fourth quarter hovered around the $90 plus level. Would you agree with that assessment, Kevin? The price of oil averaged about 71 WTI for uh, calendar 2007, which was great news if all you did was sell oil. But if, on the other hand, you were in the business of buying oil to make something else out of it, like gasoline or plastic or chemicals, then the high price of oil wasn't necessarily a good thing for you, and it may actually have hurt or diminished your margins somewhat. Well, in addition to uh, refining and, of course, uh, the crude oil price, many of these companies are in natural gas markets, too. And natural gas prices were about flat uh, year over year, whereas uh, crude prices for the quarter were up uh, roughly 50%. And Kevin, because these oil companies are publicly traded, who really benefits from favorable earnings? And what impact do corporate earnings have on the economy overall? Well, these are extremely large companies. And whereas the size of the returns in proportion to the top line aren't as important from a company evaluation perspective, from an economic growth perspective, big numbers do matter. These are among the building blocks, the Fortune 50 Uh, the top 50 biggest companies by market capitalization in America. And the common shareholders are everyone from retirement funds to museum endowments to private wealthy investors, uh, frankly, to even uh, U.S. uh, state and local pension funds. So there's a a lot of upside to be had by a, a lot of folks you don't typically associate with the oil industry when they do deliver record returns. And it seems that there is some um, misperception, shall we say, about how the earnings of the major companies end up being used. John, can you explain what happens to the money that the oil companies make? Well, companies do a lot of things with their money. The first thing they do is invest because they need to build more capital for future production. They invest in both conventional energy projects along with new emerging energy projects such as renewables. Uh, They also pay dividends to their shareholders um, or the retirees that Kevin just mentioned. Uh, They buy back stock to support their shareholders or they keep money for a rainy day. 
John, would you expect that investment trend to continue, or because of this downturn in the economy that we're all looking at very carefully now, could the companies be forced to make fewer investments in the near future, perhaps in oil production or perhaps in fuels for the future? Well, the companies are interested in investing for the future. So as current conditions warrant, they will be doing that. The big fear I have, though, is that if they have enact policies in Washington uh, that don't help in that process, you could see lower investments because of the unfavorable policy. But the companies are interested in supplying their consumers both now and in the future. Well, Jane, I'd add to that the, the capital cycle for oil exploration and production, to say nothing of refining, is a very long cycle. You have to make plans in the very distant future, and you have to start early. It's not uncommon to start thinking in 10- or 15-year horizons, which means that the political risk that John mentioned can be challenging because Congresses move in two-year increments, uh, sometimes precipitously within those increments, and annual budgets are made by governments annually. Uh, so the discord you have, the disconnect, is one of trying to synchronize your expectations at the corporate investment level with might, what might be unknowable over the 10 to 15 year period, which could comprise six or seven Congresses. Well, what you've just said might explain some of the news reports we've seen recently. As you know, several companies in the last couple of years have been making improvements in refining capacity. But recent reports indicate that some of them might be reconsidering. Uh, why is that? Is that? Does that have to do with policy in this country? It helps to think about the refiner as the sort of the largest building block in the downstream value chain. You can have one refinery service a large number of blenders and an even larger number of service stations. And to profitably run that refinery, you're going to need all of those things downstream from the refiner. If you think demand is slowing at the service station level, the first thing you're going to ask is, can I afford to operate another store in addition to the store I'm running if I'm only going to be selling a tiny fraction of the merchandise? And if you're a refiner, those stores are extremely expensive. You'd much rather hire a couple extra people to work in the store longer hours, maybe even come up with some way to sub out some of the inventory you might sell through a subcontractor rather than building a whole new store and carrying that cost. So economic downturn and policy changes are both reasons to hold off before making that kind of considerable investment. Well, one major policy change was made just recently in the energy bill that was passed at the very end of 2007, and it had to do with this renewable fuels mandate, which would require a, significant, uh, a significantly larger amount of ethanol to enter the gasoline pool. Could that as well have an impact on the decisions that refiners make? Putting more gasoline out there is the goal of everyone. Putting more ethanol into gasoline even makes sense to everyone up to a point question is, when are you going to have to buy new blending and transportation equipment to get that ethanol to the destination markets? And when you get above a certain threshold, you're going to have to divert capital that might have gone towards investment in refining or, quite frankly, in next-generation fuels using more conventional feedstocks, things like coal, things like the low end of the petroleum barrel. You're going to have to divert that money uh, to try to come up with ways of getting that ethanol to the market. And that expense is something that I'd expect the companies are at this point bracing for, yes. Would you agree with that assessment, John? Absolutely. Uh, when you introduce more ethanol into the gasoline supply, it's an important addition, but it also imposes more costs. It imposes more uncertainty in terms of how much of the base gasoline you're going to also be supplying, depending on what the, the new RFS is going to be. So it adds further uncertainty in terms of what the outlook will be. John, members of Congress tend to say that energy legislation, like the bill that was passed at the end of 2007, encourages energy independence and reduces our so-called addiction to oil. How likely is it, really, that our nation will become energy independent? 
Well, energy independence has been a slogan, but not proper energy policy for a long time. Uh, what we need to do is to have energy security. Uh, we need to have diverse sources of supply, diverse suppliers around the globe, uh, diverse energy sources, and only then will we have true energy security. But focusing on energy independence really is a slogan and not proper policy. What do you think, Kevin? Would you agree with that? We're using about 140-some billion gallons a year of gasoline, to say nothing of diesel and aviation fuel in this country. And if you took all 1.2 billion of the dry tons of biomass, everything that grows in America, lumber, corn, all the, all the crops for fibers and industrial production, and you turned them into to liquid fuels, if you did it at an unearthly high, technologically impossible rate of 100 gallons per dry ton, you would displace about 80% of the gasoline demand in America. Uh, in other words, it is impossible to get to independence, particularly if you rely on only one alternative or renewable fuel. The goal of security, though, is well met when you take some of the pressure points off of the production. And if, you are, if you're going to be a responsible policymaker, you're going to have to ask questions not just about the producers of fuels, but the consumers themselves, including the cars, and that was, of course, a part of the Energy Policy Act that just passed. With the CAFE standards. That's right. Well, going back to earnings for a moment now, um, oil company earnings, as we mentioned earlier, do tend to trigger discussions about whether or not the major oil companies make too much money. Uh, John, during the past several quarters, they've made billions of dollars. But is there anything inappropriate about that? Absolutely not. But we as an industry have done a very poor job of explaining anything about the industry, including earnings. The numbers are big in billions, and people simply don't understand what that is. But if you put it in a proper context, uh, the oil industry, in terms of cents on the dollar, makes about what manufacturing does, for example, and in, in some cases it makes less. So uh, you need to put it in proper context on both how big are those earnings and also what do the companies do with their money in terms of taking care of the retirees and other owners of the companies with either dividends, stock buybacks, and so on. But despite that, John, and Kevin, I'd like to get your comment on this too, there seems to be a tendency sometimes among our lawmakers to want to punish companies with legislation for making money. Uh, is that rather counterproductive, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, historically, the the easiest way to make a budget is to look at the largest numbers and make the biggest changes you can afford to those numbers. And that's where it's uh, an unfortunate uh, function of the oil industry's scale that it's one of the first things lawmakers look at. There is a, there is a fallacy in going after something that has such a broad reach and applicability to the entire economy, and uh, the goal of energy security was seriously impaired in the 1980s when the Crude Oil Windfall Profits Tax Act scared away necessary downstream and upstream investment here in the United States. Depending on the format and the framework of the taxes, it can be to the industry's benefit to participate as a partner. If you use the money in a way that helps open up exploration and facilitate the leasing and production of new areas within the United States, for example, or builds infrastructure. But in general, it's not a good idea to go after the biggest number first. Quickly now, what kind of an energy policy do you think the United States really should have? I'd actually argue with John's point that education is what's needed. I think it's fascinating that we're a country where we know everything about our baseball teams and our coffees. We're specialists in whiskeys and, and drinks that I've never heard of, but nobody knows how many gallons are in a barrel. 42, by the way, uh, for anyone who doesn't. 
you have a culture of Americans who love to learn the details. The energy industry is complex. It's full of trade-offs, things that we as Americans are very comfortable making. So nothing is perfect. Let's understand the energy we've got. I think it begins with education and, quite frankly, learning to appreciate what a value it is that all the stuff that's been compressed and shaped into hydrocarbons over time is available to you in an energy-dense form that can be used for fuel will help to clear up one of the first misconceptions, which is that there's anything dirty about fossil fuels. Kevin's absolutely right. We need to get the facts out first. We can have a debate over a lot of different things here in Washington about proper energy policy, but let's get the facts out so that we're talking from the same sheet of paper. Because right now, if you ask Americans who are talking with their legislators what the facts on energy are, they won't know. And so let's do that first, and then we can craft a policy that does things like increase supplies of all types of energy, reduces demand, and improves infrastructure. But let's get the facts out first. That'll have to be the last word today. Kevin, John, thank you so much for joining us today for Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you, Jan. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.